able to teach God's Word on Father's Day and my 35th birthday. And, and I think about manhood. I think about what it is to be a, a real man, a godly man. And, and then I begin to think about what our culture says about manhood. I think about what society says a real man looks like. Society, sometimes they, they say a real man's this tough man, like just love the powerful life team. They travel all across America, around the world, in schools and churches, saying lots of people come to Jesus Christ. And that, that, that tough man, like, like a dirty Harry or a Rambo type of man, that's a man's man, culture says. Or my favorite is Jack Bauer. With 24, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Jack, that, that man's man, or Clint Eastwood, or, or Mr. T, I pity the fool, I pity the fool. You know, that tough man, that tough man, that's a man's man, or, 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 or society also puts out this, this nice man image, this good, nice man, wouldn't hurt a fly type of image. That's a real, real man, this nice man, like, like a Mr. Rogers in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Neighbor. I mean, this nice man. This, I wouldn't hurt a fly. That, that's a real man's man. There, there, there are some that, that paint this picture of a real man, and I call this man the sensitive man. The sensitive man. That's a real man. I, I think about the former Michael, the, Michael, Michael Jackson. You know, the, I, no, I can't think of a better word than sensitive man. You know. Tito, Janet, Latoya. We're going to put a performance on today. Hee hee. I mean, sensitive. Now, hey, if you're a Michael Jackson fan, I'm not making fun now. I'm just, just trying to keep it real. That's sensitive. A sensitive man. And, and culture paints all these pictures of, of what a real man looks like. And, and what I want to do today is I want us to look at what is God's model for manhood. Well, what does God have to say about what a real man looks like? What, what does the Bible say about manhood and what it is to be a, a godly man? And Paul gives us two examples of what a godly man looks like in, in Timothy and Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter number 2. And, and I want to share two quick verses with you out of Philippians chapter 2, and then we're going to unpack Several of these verses here today. Philippians 2 and verse 20. Paul says this about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him. That's powerful. He, out of all the people in my ministry, all the people that are around me, all the people that surround me, he says, listen, I have no one else like this Timothy fellow. I mean, this is a real man. This is a godly man. This is a man's man. Nobody else like him. He goes on to say in verse 29 about Epaphroditus. He says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor. Notice that honor men like him. And this guy was so special. He was such a man's man, a real man, a godly man that, that, that Paul said, listen, this guy, Epaphroditus, when he gets back to the church of Philippi, I want you to honor him. I want you to celebrate him because he's a man's man. He's a real man. And what I want to do today is. I want us to unpack Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. We're going to look at 11 verses today about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to discover three values of a godly man. Three values of a godly man. You see, a man's greatness is not determined by the value of his wealth, but by the wealth of his values. 
Well, what kind of values do you have? Well, what kind of values are you living by? Are you living by, by godly values? And we're going to look three values of a godly man. Number one is this. A godly man, a, a value that is in his life is he has compassion for others. Compassion for others. And, and, and that, 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 when, when Paul says there's no one else like Timothy, one of the reasons he, he said that was because Timothy was a man who had compassion for others. Look at this with me in Philippians chapter 2. Let's pick up reading in verse number 19. Scripture says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else, no one else like him. Why would he say that about Timothy? What kind of attributes, characteristics, values were, were in his life? Well, well, notice the rest of this verse. He goes on to say, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone. Notice that everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But Paul says everybody but Timothy looks out for his own interests. They're selfish. They're self-centered. They're self-serving. And wouldn't that be true today in so many ways? In our culture, in our society, most people, most of us men, we, we struggle with, with this thing called selfishness, with, with looking out for just our own interest, or, or we would call it in our society today, looking out for number one. I'm watching out for, for, for number one. And friends, one of the quickest ways to shipwreck your family and the, the, the relationships that you love the most is to be self-centered, to be selfish, to be self-serving. And, and I think about what Paul does with Timothy. With Timothy, He, he commends him. He honors him. He celebrates Timothy because Timothy had a genuine interest in, in other people. He, he really cared about other people. He had compassion on others. And, and I, I want to talk to the men today. Men, husbands, dads, do you have a genuine interest in other people and especially your family? I mean, do you have a real compassion for other people or is it just all about me, all about what I want, all about selfishness, me, myself, and I, self-centered, self-serving, or is there a compassion for others and a compassion for your family? You see, it's, it's possible in our world today to get so wrapped up in your own life, in your own interests, in your own wants that you neglect those that you love the most. It's possible in our world today that you get so wrapped up in your work and your career, the dollar bill, making money, that you neglect your own family. And listen, God is looking for men. He's looking for men who put people before prophets, not prophets before people. And we start to lose our compassion because our interests are all about us and what we want. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 4 through 5, a very familiar portion of Scripture to those who have been in church for years. This is the definition of love, a biblical definition of agape love, or in other words, the God kind of love. And the Bible says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. Notice this, it is not self-seeking, the God kind of love. Agape love, the biblical kind of love, it is not self-seeking, it's not selfish, it's not self-centered, it's not self-serving, it's not all about me. Let me be honest with you. 
I, I struggle with this. There are times that I struggle with being selfish, with thinking about me, with, with lacking compassion for others. And I, I think we all can, can struggle with this area of, of selfishness. And yet the Bible says when our lives are consumed with the love of God, when we are driven and motivated by the love of God, the Scripture says that it is not self-seeking. We're concerned about others. We have compassion for others. We're, it's not all about me, myself, and I. And, and my prayer, my hope today is that this flesh that we're living in, we, we, it would die. We, we would die to self and let the power of the Holy Spirit take over in our lives and that we we would be men of love and that we wouldn't be self-seeking and we would serve our families and love our families. We would have compassion on others because the Bible says this is a value of a godly man. He has compassion for others. There's a second value that I want you to see of a godly man. First, compassion for others. Number two is consistent in life. Consistent in life. Paul said there was no one else like Timothy because he was consistent in his life. I want you to notice this in Philippians chapter 2. The next verse, verse 22 says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Everybody shout proved. Notice that he has proved himself because as a son with his father, that's a great Father's Day verse, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of of the gospel. But Paul says, listen, Timothy has proved himself. You want to know why there's no one else like Timothy? He's proved himself. He has been faithful to serve alongside of me in the work of the gospel. He has been consistent in his life. He has been consistent to live a life of integrity. He has proven himself to be a man of God. And the Bible is full of verses about integrity. And I picked out one this week that impacted me in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 20 and verse number 7. The scripture says, the godly walk with integrity. They walk or, or, or they live or they're, they're, they're consistent. The godly walk, they live, they're consistent with, with integrity. And Herbert, you say, what are the ramifications of living a life of integrity? Well, well notice what, what the rest of the verse goes on to say. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed. Are there children who follow them? Everybody shout, follow them. Now, I want you to notice this. This is key. This is key. Our kids follow us. They're watching us. They're seeing how we, we live. Listen, you are influencing your kids. And can I tell you that it's caught more than it's taught. They're watching how you live out your daily life. The godly walk with integrity. And the benefits of it is blessed are their children who, who follow them and understand that integrity isn't about image. It's about character. A, a nice personality will make a first good impression. But success over the long haul is built on character, not image. You see, the man of integrity has a private life that matches his public life. That's integrity. That's being consistent in life. And one of the things about, about Timothy that, that Paul pointed out was he has proved himself. He has lived a life of integrity. He's living a consistent life. And when I begin to think about that, I begin to ask the question, are we living a consistent life? Are you living a life of integrity? I think about the attitude. Are you a person that has a good attitude, a godly attitude? Are you a positive person or are you always negative? 
and pessimistic. Always tearing down people. You're the kind of person that, you know, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. We all have bad days. I have bad days. You have bad days. But if you're the kind of person that you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, four out of seven days of the week, you got an issue. Amen. I mean, you always grouchy and upset and mad and frustrated. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Leave me alone. You got a bad attitude all the time. You got issues. You got, you got problems. That's, that, that's not consistency in, in life. And a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, they have consistency. They, they have integrity. I, I think about how we treat others. And that's so huge, how we treat other people. Are you living a life of integrity? Or, or are you consistent in the way you treat people? Are you kind to people? Are, 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 you, are you nice to people? Do, do you love people? Are you compassionate on people? Do you treat people the way that you want to be, be treated? Or do you just step over people and, and walk over people and talk about people and, and use people and manipulate people? And You see, a person of integrity, a man of integrity, a consistent life is, is a person who treats people in a godly way, the way they want to be treated. I, I think about the financial arena. Are you living a life of integrity in your finances? Are you, are you honoring God? Are you, are you paying your bills on time? Are you, are, are you staying out of consumer debt? And if you got yourself in consumer debt, are you being responsible and, and, and put together a plan to pay it off and, and, and to get out of debt? Are you, or are you always robbing Peter to pay Paul? Are you just racking up your credit card debt talking about Jesus is going to come? It'll be all right. I mean... Are you one of those kind of people that you, you know, the creditors call your house and, and the kids answer the phone and you tell them, tell them I'm not here. Let's go to church. Amen. I mean, integrity, consistency in, in life, living a life of integrity. The Bible says the godly walk with integrity and blessed are their children who follow them. Just think about your lifestyle. Are you consistent in your lifestyle? What you watch, what you listen to, where you go, how you talk, just just the life you live every single day. Is there consistency? Is there integrity? The godly live a life of integrity and bless other children who follow them. And I, I think about a very powerful verse in, back in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 9. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from, from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Now, now here's what I like about this verse. is Paul says, listen, I was consistent in the way that I lived. He says, listen, whatever you have learned, or if you received it, or if you heard it, but I didn't just talk about it. If you heard it from me, or if you've seen it in me, he says, listen, the way that I live and the way that I talk matched up. The, the, the way that I lived my everyday life walked, uh, matched up with the way that, 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 I, that I talked to people, that I treated people. There was consistency in every area of my life. And so, so he says, listen, whatever you received of me, whatever you learned from me, whatever you heard me say, whatever you seen me, seen in me, the way that I lived, he says, put it into practice. In other words, do what I do. And Paul says, and the grace the, the, and the God of peace will be with you. I like this. Paul says, listen, Church of Philippi, if you do what I do, God will be with you. Okay, can I tell you that the goal of every godly daddy is, is to say to your kids, kids, do what daddy does and God will be with you. Do what I do and God will be with you. Live like I live and God will be with you. Is that true of your kids and your life? Can you say to your kids, have the attitude that daddy has? 
And God will be with you the rest of your life. Listen, treat people the way that I treat people. Treat your mom like the way that I treat her. Treat your neighbor, treat your friend the way that I do, and God will be with you. Handle your finances like daddy does, and God will be with you. Listen, live your life, your daily, just follow daddy. Watch how daddy lives, and if you live like daddy lives, God will be with you. And that's what Paul says. You live like I live, you do what I do, and God will will be with you. You see, a value of a godly man is there's consistency in life. Number three is this. There's a third value that I want to point out to you today. And now we're going to look at Epaphroditus. And that is committed during good and bad times. Committed during good and bad times. Paul says, honor men like Epaphroditus. Why? Because he was committed. He was committed. You see, God is looking for men who put commitment before comfort. And I want you to see this in the scriptures. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 24 through 27, the word of God says, And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Check out what was happening here. You see, Paul was in prison in Rome and the church at Philippi took up an offering to support Paul's ministry. And Epaphroditus volunteered to take the offering to the apostle Paul. And this was around an 800-mile journey, about a six-week journey over rough terrain to get the offering to the Apostle Paul. And on the way to the Apostle Paul, I mean, the Bible lets us know that somewhere that Epaphroditus got sick, probably on his way as he was taking the offering on this long journey, he, he got sick. And we're not just talking about a little sick. Big time. He got so sick, the Bible says he almost died. He almost lost his life. And I love what the Bible points out, that Epaphroditus, he was committed. Here he is. He went, he goes on. He gets the offering all the way to Paul. He was committed to do what God wanted him to do. And the interesting thing is this. He was smack dab in the will of God. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He was supporting one of the most powerful ministries on the planet at the time, the Apostle Paul's ministry. Here he is trying to take care of the Apostle Paul's needs, and he gets sick. It was tough. It wasn't easy. But he was committed. He said, you know what? There's, it's painful, but I'm still getting the offering to Paul. It's not easy, but I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be committed in good times, and I'm going to be committed in bad times. You see, the, the, the apostle Paul about Epaphroditus, he says, honor men like him. This guy is committed. He put commitment over comfort. And men, can I tell you that God has called you and I to put commitment over comfort. And there are three areas that I want to point out to you, especially on this dad's day, on this, on this father's day, on this day that we honor men. I want to point out three areas that we need to be committed. Number one is this. Be committed to your wife and family. Be committed to your wife and your family. Now understand this, men. This, this is so important for you to grasp, that being committed to your wife is one of the best ways to influence your kids to, for God. So, Herbert, I want to influence my kids for God. One of the best ways you do that is how you treat their mother. It's how you treat your spouse. 
The Bible says in the book of Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 14 through 16, it says, you cry out. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? And there are many who cry out like that today. Why doesn't God hear my prayers? Why isn't God moving on my behalf? Why doesn't it seem like God is blessing me in the way that I want him to bless me? And, and the, the writer says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. You have not been committed to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? But what does God want besides you being married for 60, 70 years? He wants that. But what else does God want out of this marriage union? It goes on to say godly children from your union. How do we get godly children from this marriage union? He tells us, so guard your heart. Remain loyal. Remain faithful. Remain committed to the wife. Of your youth. Remain committed. Be committed. And can I tell you that commitment is not about feelings. Commitment's a choice. It's not, it's not, it's not about an emotional feeling. Can I tell you, if you've been married any longer than three weeks, you know it's not about a feeling. Because you don't wake up every day, man, and you look at your wife and say, Ooh, girl, I love you so much. I look at you and I got doodads running up and down my back. Ooh, I got chill bumps. Ooh, I just look at you. Come on, come on. There, there, are, there are some days you wake up and you look at her and you go, boy, she is ugly this morning. Amen. Huh? Not my wife, not you, baby. Amen. My wife is fine in the morning. She looks good, but your wife is ugly. U-G-L-Y. I ain't got no alibi. You are ugly this morning. They make your breath stink. It's not about a feeling. It's not about emotions. It's about a commitment. I'm committed. I don't care if your breath stinks. If you don't brush it until noon, I still love you. I'm committed to you. It's not about an emotion. It's about a commitment. Can I tell you that Epaphroditus, when he got sick and he was about to die, but he said, you know what? It's not about being comfortable. It's about being committed. I can turn back now. I could go back to Philippi, but I'm committed to God. I'm putting commitment over comfort. It's about being committed. It's about being committed. It's about being committed. I think about my own life. I I told my wife when we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I looked over at my wife and I said, baby, I'm depressed. Very true. Um, Nothing was wrong. She said, well, anything wrong? I said, no, everything's great. Love you. Marriage is great. Kids are great. Everybody's healthy. Church is doing well. God is blessing in incredible ways. I have no reason to be depressed, but I'm depressed today. And for about a day and a half, two days, I was just, I was just depressed. Anybody ever been like your pastor before? You don't even have no reason to be depressed, but you're depressed. And you know what I'm saying? Yes. I don't know why I'm depressed, but I'm depressed. I'm in a funky mood. Don't even know why. Just depressed. Huh? But can I tell you what? I wasn't going to leave my wife, quit pastoring the church because I'm in a funky mood. Can I tell you? Sometimes you just get depressed, but I'm not going to. Come on, your feelings will mess you up. Your feelings are flaky. Don't be listening to your feelings. Come on, you got to be committed. Be committed to God. Be committed to your marriage. Come on, be committed to, to your family. Because I'm committed. I, I'm in this thing for the long run. I'm committed to you past my feelings because I'm committed to the Lord. And... A man of value is committed doing good times and bad times to his wife, to his family. There's a second thing that I want you to see is be committed to being a loving leader. Men, be committed to being a loving leader. Here's what the scripture says in 
I read this out of the, I want to read this out of the Message Bible because so many men misuse this verse. Proverbs, excuse me, Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Yes, men, you're called to be the leader of your home, but not by domineering, but by cherishing her, by loving her like Christ loves the church. I've seen some men that call themselves spiritual talking about, the Bible says you submit to me. You better submit to me. I'm like, what in the, what are you talking about? That's not biblical. I mean, you got the verse right, but you got it all out of context. Mean and hateful. You don't listen to me. I'm Hitler around here. No, you not. She ain't going to follow you like that. But if you'll love her and if you'll cherish her, you'll honor her and you'll treat her like a queen. She won't have any problem following you. But you've got to be a loving leader, a loving leader, a, a, a loving leader. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 24, So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. And men, men here's what I want to say to you today. Don't be a passive leader. It's so easy when you get to the workplace, get, get to the career that may, maybe you're, you're, you're highly aggressive. And yet when you get home, you're, you're passive. You, you don't lead your family. And men, God has, God has called you to be a loving leader, to, to lead your family. I'm speaking to some men, because here's what we do to men. We want to beat you up. Look at you. You old sorry, no good for nothing man. You ain't got no backbone. You just sorry. No, no, you're not sorry. You got so much potential in you, sir. You a, you're a leader. You're a lion for God. God has so much he wants to do through your life. He's called you to lead your family. He's called you to be a leader. It's inside of you. I'm speaking to somebody's potential right now. It's inside of you to lead. It's inside of you to be a man of God. It's inside of you to be a man of value. It's inside of you to be committed, to be a loving leader for God. And I'm calling it forth today. Would you lead like God wants you to lead? Lead your family spiritually. Lead them in prayer. Lead them in the scriptures. Talk about Jesus at the house. Come on on Sunday morning. Don't make your wife and kids drag you out of it. You get up first. Amen. Take a shower. Sing and pray. Come on, we're going to church. I don't care if you don't feel like we're going to church to magnify. But be a loving leader and lead your family. Come on, no more passivity. Come on, no, 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 no more taking it easy. No more coasting. Come on, man of God, stand up and lead like God has called you. To lead a, a loving leader. Be committed to being a loving leader. There's a third thing that I want you to see today about being committed. Number three is be committed to risk it all for Christ. To risk it all for Christ. Let's go back to our, our, our scripture in Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 28 about Epaphroditus. It says, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Well, why should we honor men like Epaphroditus? Verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Everybody shout risking. I mean, he made the choice. He made a choice to risk his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Epaphroditus risked his life. This, this word risk is a gambling term that means to, to stake everything you've got on the roll of a dice. And Epaphroditus was God's gambler. 
He gambled everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He risked his very life for the cause of Christ. Epaphroditus, he put commitment over comfort. You say, Herbert, what does risk look like today in the 21st century? I, I, I jotted down a, a few things about what does risk look like for you and I as men of God. Risk means go against culture. Go against friends. Go against the fellows at work and sell out to Jesus Christ. Go, 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 go. I mean, can I tell you that, that I don't want to be normal? So I just want to fit into what everybody else is doing. I don't want, I don't want to be normal. Because normal is jacked up, messed up, lost your mind. Get me? I don't want to be normal. Don't, don't, don't be normal. Go against culture. Go against your friends. Go against what the fellows are doing at the workplace. And I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. You, you may go against what everybody else is doing. You'll probably be ridiculed. You'll probably be laughed at. But there's nothing better than saying, I'm a man of God, and I'm following God, and I'm living in integrity, and I'm walking in the blessings of God. And my kids are blessed. My grandkids are great. My great-grand, they're blessed. Because I'm following G. I'm risking it all to sell out. No more playing games. No more going through the motions. I'm selling out to Jesus. Risk means to change. Risk means to repent. It means I'm willing to make some changes. Today there's some things that don't line up in my life. And I'm going to risk it all for Jesus and change. Turn. Repent. I like how the old folks used to say it. Let go and let God. That's what some of you need to do today. Let go. Let God. Turn. Risk it all and turn your life over to Christ. No more games. No more going through the motions. Risk it all for Jesus. You know what risk means? It means commitment to God and his word over comfort. Commitment to God and his word over comfort. Can I tell you, it gets so easy to be comfortable when it comes to your attitude, when, when, when it comes to the way you treat people, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your daily life. It's easy to try to fit into the world and fit into society instead of being committed to God and His Word. I know what God's Word says, but here's what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I'm going to put commitment to God and His Word over comfort in the world. I'm going to risk it all to sell out for Jesus Christ. And Epaphroditus, he risked everything. He risked his very life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men, can I ask you, what are you risking your life for? What are you giving your life for? You're giving your life for something. What are you giving up? What are you giving your life for? For, for a drug? For, for, for some sex? For, for something else to drink? For, for power? For, for money? What, what are you giving? What are you risking your life for? Man, can, can I encourage you? Risk your life for Jesus. Risk your life for something that lasts for eternity. Risk your life for something that, that, that makes an eternal impact. Epaphroditus was willing to die for Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to die for Christ. I'm asking, would you live for Christ? Would you sell out to him? Would you give him your all? Would you be the man that God wants you to be? Would you be the husband God wants you to be? Would you be the father God wants you to be? Would you, would you, because you know what? It's not about dying for Christ. It's about living for Christ. Because if you really live for Christ, you will die for Christ. But the call today, men of God, is would you live for Jesus? And sell out to him. No more games. No more going through the motions. Would you give it all to Jesus Christ and put commitment before comfort? Father, thank you for your word, your presence. Thank you that we can encourage men.